Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. We actually published today's conversation last week over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast channel, but we wanted to repost it here in our Blister podcast feed just in case there are some of you who haven't already subscribed to our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. And if you haven't, you really should, because we've got some really good conversations taking place over there too. So don't miss out, and you can subscribe for free to Bikes and Big Ideas on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the reason we are sharing this again is because for a number of us, bikes are primarily a source of serious fun. They are fun to read about, they're super fun to ride, They're fun to watch incredible athletes compete on. They are pretty much the greatest thing ever. But for many others around the world, bikes aren't just fun. They are major drivers of economic development, critical sources of transportation and healthcare, vehicles of educational opportunity, and instruments of equality. In short, for many people and communities, bikes are transformative tools that significantly impact and improve lives. And while I would argue that this is also certainly true for those of us who are privileged enough to stay up wondering whether we ought to go with 29 inch or 27 5 inch wheels, it is definitely no less true of those for whom having access to a functional bike is the difference between going to school and getting an education or not. And that brings us to the work of World Bicycle Relief, an organization that was started in 2005 by the founder of SRAM, FK Day, and his wife, Leah. World Bicycle Relief has been providing bikes to some of the communities around the world that could use them most, and in today's conversation, I think you'll come to see exactly how and why bikes can be such a significant and life-changing tool. Our guest today is Dave Nicewander, the CEO of World Bicycle Relief. Dave has been with WBR for over a decade, and as you will see, he is an impressive guy with an impressive background, and he does an excellent job talking about the origins of WBR, its trajectory and challenges, the bikes themselves and all the product design that goes into them, and what people like you and I can do to support the work of World Bicycle Relief. And so, let's get to my conversation with Dave Nicewander. Well, Dave, how are you today and where are you today? Doing fine, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Good. I'm sitting here in Chicago at uh, World Bicycle Relief's offices, which we actually share, co-locate with SRAM uh, Corporation's world headquarters. Let's talk a bit about how World Bicycle Relief got started. Sure. Our origin story, if you will, um, really, it, it's it comes from SRAM Corporation. Um, if you go back over 13 years ago, uh, in December of 2004, there was the Indian Ocean tsunami that caused great devastation uh, throughout a whole region. And like many people, uh, the founders of SRAM were looking at that, and as a global company, thinking, well, what should be our response to this? Is there something that we should do? And one of the co-founders of SRAM is F.K. Day, 
And he and his wife, Leah, went to Sri Lanka in January of 2005 to sort of assess things on the ground and, and see, well, maybe bicycles could make a difference. Um, and we were able to find a partner um, at that time and, and uh, be able to source FK uh, for over 25 years, was a head of product development within SRAM Corporation. And so he knows a little bit about bicycles and so worked with a local supplier and Southeast Asia has a strong supply chain of bikes and, and be able to find the, the right bike to serve the purpose and, and worked with a, a, a leading development program that had done a field assessment and did about 24,000 bicycles. And about a third of those bicycles went to healthcare workers that were helping with the disaster recovery, a third to students that were dislocated, but then wanting to get back to school and had to travel long distances. And a third went to entrepreneurs. You can imagine a fisherman that was dislocated because of the tsunami having to get back into business and transporting the fish to the marketplace and to his customers. And quite frankly, it was almost going to be a one and done thing. You know, folks at SRAM were really pleased and, and the entire cycling industry really came in to support this effort. Um, and really SRAM was sort of thinking, well, well, this is great. Now we'll go back and make really fancy components that go on Tour de France type bicycles. Um, and then the impact came back. There was an impact assessment and it showed that the bicycles really made a huge difference. It really connected people to the vital resources of healthcare, education, economic development, that people's lives improved. They were able to thrive through that disaster recovery because of the bicycle. And with those results, they said to FK and, and Leah, the co-founders of the organization, you know, about a quarter of a million people that perished in the tsunami, that happens about every four to five weeks in Africa. And the challenges of distance and where a bicycle could come in and be helpful there is enormous. And so that's how we got started in Africa and in about 2006 and 2007, is when I came on board. Uh, so I um, came on board uh, as the first employee on the ground uh, in 2007 and uh, based in Lusaka, Zambia, uh, where we were partnering with a leading healthcare program. Uh, at that point, there was a strong push to try to combat the challenges of the HIV AIDS epidemic. And this is being led by the US government and this leading program uh, was a consortium of different nonprofit organizations that covered Zambia. Now, Zambia, don't hear a lot of in the news. It's, it's the size of Texas and about half the population. Um, and so a huge amount of space. And, and the program was training volunteer healthcare workers that were going into the households of people afflicted and impacted by HIV and AIDS. So people living with AIDS and, and the over a million orphans in Zambia that were created because of the AIDS pandemic. And they had a challenge. Um, they were having to walk 10 to 15 miles to go into these various households, to go visit and spend time with them and to take medication or to take blankets and supplies, medical supplies. So they had this trained army, but they had a logistics issue. And quite frankly, the program had actually tried to source local bicycles, but the bicycles were not of good quality. So that's when FK and Leah were brought in and, and made a, a, a commitment uh, to provide 23,000 bicycles. And I came in to try to help figure it out. So 
before you teamed up with FK and Leah, how did you yourself get onto this path of working in Zambia? <laughs> well, that's an interesting story too. <laughs> I, um, I figured. <laughs> I am a reformed investment banker. Um, so I grew up, uh, I grew up in Ohio, uh, went to Miami university and, and got a finance degree and, and started with a small investment banking boutique in Columbus then eventually moved to D.C., where I was working for about 10 years in a great regional uh, company taking banks public. I focused on regulated depositories, so taking financial institutions, mainly doing capital raises and, and IPOs. Loved what I was doing, but after 15 years in investment banking, thinking, well, certainly there's another <laughs> chapter in this book <laughs> of life. And, and at that point, I was 36, 37 so sort of approaching age 40, thinking, well, goodness gracious, there has to be something going on here that's different in, in life and what is meaning. And so I randomly got an email from friends of friends um, that said, you know what, we are going to do a safari. They had taken a year or two to go off to Angola, of all places, to teach English. And they were doing a final fling spring break in the Maasai Mara of Kenya. And so going on safari. And so they sent out a blast email and I responded to that email and the other two people that responded that to email were FK and Leah Day. And they had just completed the tsunami program or in the midst of completing the tsunami program. This was in 2006. And so we met literally at Heathrow Airport <laughs> and uh, flew down to Nairobi together, then spent two weeks in the back of a safari vehicle getting to know each other. And that was my very first visit to Africa, and I fell in love with the continent, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the people, the animals, just everything. I was, I was anyone that's done that experience would be able to relate that it just gets into you, the blood. And, you know, then I was able to spend time with F. Can Leah. Leah's a very accomplished uh, photojournalist, a photographer. F. K. obviously, with his experience, uh, you know, as, as an entrepreneur and founder of SRAM Corporation. But they're such lovely people, such giving people, such, and they talked a little bit about what they were doing in, in Tsunami and in, in Sri Lanka. And the fact is they were trying to, you know, get their little baby steps in before they start the program that they were talking about in Zambia. And so it was just, you know, things happen for mysterious reasons, but us sort of connecting as humans, I, of course, as an investment banker, was thinking I could take SRAM public and do an <laughs> IPO for the organization, which SRAM, thankfully, is still a uh, privately held organization, um, but uh, walked away with uh, two amazing friends and inspired that there are good people out there doing good things. And so over the course of a year, got to know more about what World Bicycle was doing. I was hosting, I was living in Washington, D.C., and hosted um, some fundraisers for them and made some connections. And I came to Chicago um, and, and, and just sort of had this epiphany, FK, next time you go to Zambia, wherever that is, I want to go. And so this was in February. And in typical FK fashion, I think it was in April of uh, the next year, or no, it was in February, it was in March. He uh, comes to me a couple of weeks later on a Thursday and says, hey, Dave, FK here, how you doing? Great. Hey, I'm going to Zambia on Sunday. Can you make it? 
<laughs> a, lot of, a lot of heads up. A lot of heads up. And, you know, if you're in the world of investment banking, sometimes, you know, you, know, you don't have time to <laughs> call your mother or do I mean, you're, it's, it's, if you're in the middle of a deal, it's crazy. I had just completed a deal or I, I had a gap in my schedule. I said, you know what? I am. So I marched into the uh, head of the investment bank and said, I'm going off to Africa to do good things for be back in a week and a half. All right, that's fine. So this is, you know, again, this is going back to uh, 2007. So there was definitely the rumblings in the background as far as a financial meltdown was, was on the horizon. So taking some time off at that point was not a problem. Um, it got there and was just blown away um, by one, the need uh, as it relates to these healthcare workers um, that, that uh, were there. Um, and the distances and the challenges that they had to face. And then also spending time with FK in the field to see him examining the bikes. He had gone out into the marketplace in Zambia to sort of source local bicycles. So the best of the best that he could find and ask people. And so he got, you know, he's, he's you know, product development guy. So you get samples and you go do testing protocols on how they hold up in the field and you come back and you have a checklist and you do that, you know, this is the methodology you go through. Well, unfortunately, all of those bicycles failed. Um, they basically, we, we affectionately call them bicycle shaped objects or BSOs. And they, the BSOs are based off an old roadster, UK roadster design, which, you know, the turn of the last century was a very strong, sturdy bicycle out of the UK double top tube, heavy duty, single gear that could last for generations. Unfortunately, the suppliers from India and China have become completely disconnected from the end user. And so the bicycles that they had had been cheapened. They just basically, they looked like bicycles, but all the componentry, all the, the assembly, the design the process had been cheapened over time, and they just basically fell apart. Those at the bottom of the pyramid, those at the bottom that needed this bicycle as a tool had a piece of junk. I mean, literally pedals snap off, braking systems never work, wheels collapse. It was, it's, it's bad. It was bad. And so FK, unlike in Sri Lanka, where we was able to find a pretty good and robust bicycle that was strong in Africa, couldn't find it, wasn't being supplied. So, well, we need to pick a little bit of a pause on this because I can't use the local supply chain. But what we can do is start working on a bicycle that's meant for the end user, that is user-centric, that is of quality. And that's really, when you think about the genesis of World Bicycle Relief or the, or the core value of what we bring, it's taking the product development talent and processes that are you know, in FK and in our history and experience with SRAM Corporation and applying those techniques and those, those processes to the bottom of the economic pyramid. And that simply had never been done. And, and that's where we've gotten very broad support, not only from SRAM, but also from Tata Bicycles, who we first worked with, um, Giant Bicycles, Trek, Specialized, Cannondale, all helping as it relates to testing, design, um, using you know, various uh, facilities, engineers, uh, to design a bicycle that's appropriate in that in that context and in that terrain. We're going to talk more about the bikes and how these bikes have evolved, but I guess I'd like to hear you 
make your succinct and strong claim of why this is such a big deal? There are over, in sub-Saharan Africa, there are over 600 million people that live in the rural areas. That's just in sub-Saharan Africa. 600 million people. That means their primary mode of transportation is walking or poor quality bicycles. And so that's the need that we're trying to address. So when you think about a girl that is trying to achieve her education and she's required to do all sorts of household chores that are as part of the cultural upbringing as far as taking care of their, 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 uh, their siblings and, and sweeping and collecting water and firewood and then walking 10 miles to get to school one way, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're not incentivized to do that. They drop out, they have babies early. So providing that link is critical. When you talk about healthcare, being able to go out and visit people and provide that last mile distribution as it relates to pharmaceuticals, as it relates to personal care, um, and, and you see the adherence to drug treatments, whether it's tuberculosis or the eradication of malaria or certainly HIV, those things, those outcomes improve. When you talk to any entrepreneur as it relates to the things that um, are important in their business, most of the time it's going to be transportation, whether it's whether you're selling goods or you're a dairy farmer that has to get milk from the farm to a centralized collection center within a short period of time, you require to have you are required to have really reliable transportation. And a bicycle can be a very important part of that value chain. Um, so what we're seeing is that in areas, especially rural areas in the developing world, a bicycle can be a critical, critical key for people to thrive. And what we're doing is thinking about holistically we never, ever, ever wanted to be a dump and run program, right? And it's very important for us to think holistically about the ecosystem, how we work with partners and experts on the ground. That could be the Ministry of Education, Ministry of Health. That could be other development organizations, other charities. Um, that could be working with the local chief and chieftainess, because that's very important to have those community ties with the traditional leaders. Those are the critical, critical stakeholders in order for us to be able to solve some of these mobility transportations holistically. And so that's where we get excited about it, whether it's the distribution of spare parts and also as it relates to the training of field mechanics to maintain and repair the bicycles. Does World Bicycle Relief operate with like a very specific mission statement? Well, it's, it's interesting. You bring it up, Jonathan, because actually we just we just finished a um, senior leadership uh, team meeting. Our global team gathered some leaders in the global team, and these are our development offices where we do some fundraising as well as the field offices and coming together as far as well. What do we want to be when we grow up? You know, we're approaching a pretty significant milestone, and and what do we want to sort of see over the next three years as an organization? And and core to that is understanding what is your mission statement, what is your theory of change. And what we sort of landed on, and this is just an evolution of a lot of internal conversations over the last 13 years as an organization, is that our goal is to have people and communities thrive with the power of bicycles. And thrive is, encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses that access to education, healthcare, opportunity. I think everybody that has ridden a bicycle 
knows that feeling of opportunity, that freedom, power that you have to, to sort of control your life. And what I loved about, you know, I was not a bike weenie prior to coming to uh, World Bicycle, but I'm still not. I'm a, I am a commuter and a, and a casual recreational cyclist, but I love my bike. FK is the same way. FK really says it and really sets the tone as it relates to a bicycle is just a tool. It's what the bicycle person can do with the bicycle that makes it powerful. So how are we creating the best tool for somebody to be able to take charge of their life to access these various opportunities and, and resources? So I think when we think about what is our mission, it's really thinking about how do we create that thrive people and communities thrive with the power of bicycles. A big other question is how you guys go about identifying which geographical areas or which communities to try to, uh, you know, provide some support and help to, um, what is, what does that look like? That's also been a very interesting evolution. <laughs> I mean, the Sri Lanka experience, obviously that was, uh, res response to the disaster that took place and finding a partner could have been in different areas within in the in Southeast Asia but it was really working in Sri Lanka and with a very reliable partner there that same partner took us to Zambia and Zambia was interesting for FK and Leah because it was a large country it was a large-scale program it's a landlocked country so if you can do it there you can probably do it in a lot of different places you could replicate it um, as we look at expansion from a geographic standpoint, whether it's within a country or even within the country, uh, we've come up with a, a, a system or lenses to look through. We use a Venn diagram and, and have three different lenses that we sort of look through. If we hit those things, that's a sweet spot for us. Um, that, that, that's an area that, that uh, we need. And the first lens that we look at is where can we have the highest impact? Where is their greatest need as it relates to distances traveled and the challenges there and where a bicycle could really make a difference? Um, so that's the first thing. That's sort of our guiding light. The second would be a word we made up, but <laughs> and somewhat all-encompassing, implementability. Uh, and implementability covers a lot of things. Well, what about the terrain? You know, right now there could be need there. But if you're in a mountainous area, I don't know if a bicycle is going to be the best tool for you um, to do that. Currently, the bicycle that we have today might not be the best tool. Or there's social issues. Um, in certain areas, as you get to northern Africa, it's not as culturally appropriate for women or girls to ride bicycles. Well, most all of our programs are focused around girls and women, and whether it's education or health care. So that probably wouldn't fit. There's political instability. There's economic instability. There are partners on the ground. Um, there's the logistics aspect. So all those things sort of work into implementability and a grading system for each one of those. And then the final lens we look through is social enterprise opportunity. Where is there an opportunity for our social enterprise, Buffalo Bicycles, to be able to thrive to help support the philanthropic programs that we implement? Um, and so that has to do with the installed base of bicycle culture as it relates to uh, the economic systems, the other alternatives for transportation, um, and the pricing uh, within that. So all those three things, if you look through those three different lenses, where they intersect is our sweet spot. 
both within a country as, as well as when we think about country expansion. And we've used this tool actually effectively. We were operating um, in partnership, in, in fully in partnership in South Africa and, and made the determination as we looked through those three lenses, that might not be the highest return on impact that we want to do. Um, and so actually made the decisions uh, to pull out of, of South Africa and refocus some efforts into Malawi, which was a country of high need, but also had good implementability and we believe has good opportunity for social enterprise. I, I take it you've got folks at WBR who are out there on the ground looking at potential new areas. So how involved are you personally in this part of the process? I've been at the organization for uh, 11 years at this point, and I was in Africa. I was in Lusaka for six years and, and in South Africa for about three and a half years, so about nine and a half, almost 10 years um, in the field as the Africa director and then came over about three years ago back to the States uh, to take on the broader role of, of, of CEO where fundraising and the, the field operations sort of fall underneath my 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 scope of work. And um, so, yes, working with the, the, the various teams, we have about, as an organization, about 160 uh, employees that are across 12 different countries. Um, so we have a product development team uh, that's both here in the U.S. as well as in Africa, as well as in Asia. So when we think about our supply chain, we work with our, our supply chain uh, suppliers and logistics um, out of Taiwan, but we have field monitors and product development managers that are the voice of the consumer in Africa. Um, and then we also advance product development here in the U.S. And then we have um, development offices and fundraising offices um, here in the U.S. We also are established in Canada, uh, people on the ground in the U.K., in Germany, and Switzerland, and Australia. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty broad organization and, and very excited to, you know, talk about a, a new expansion opportunity for us in, uh, Columbia going into next year. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Um, with Columbia, uh, we're looking to launch, uh, fully in, in the first part of 2020. Um, but we have been working in partnership with a, uh, really great partners, a soft beverage company. Uh, partner that basically um, Columbia, as you can imagine, um, is pretty cycling centric, certainly after a Tour de France win uh, this year. Uh, but historically, they have been very, very strong riders, very strong. You know, it's part of their culture and it's part of their culture, not only just at the top end elite, but also throughout the whole value chain uh, in that culture as well. So you see people using bicycles to carry goods and, and for basic transportation as well in the rural areas. Um, so this, this, or this company has partnered with us. They found, they basically Googled us and found us in Africa and said, we want to do what you're doing, but doing it here in Colombia. And which was an interesting prospect for us because we haven't really been in Latin America in, in any big way. Um, and so being able to scale our programs um, through advisory and through a supply chain was a very interesting prospect for us and, and, and how to serve that new marketplace. And they've done over 9,000 bicycles into an edu girls education program uh, they call MIBC. 
um, and it's shown great results um, with that program, and they and they've implemented very well and and shown the the impact that it's having as far as improving access to education and improved um, educational outcomes um, and just general satisfaction. They do it as a corporate social responsibility in their marketplaces. Um, and when we saw that, we said, well, this is a great opportunity as well for us to sort of think about how we could go scale. And, and we've been able to work in partnership with this organization, but there's probably more we could be doing. And so we had a scoping analysis done by a third party consulting group that was fantastic that really took those three lenses of the Venn diagram and quantified them in the Colombian context and came back with very clear next steps on one where the need was, but also how you would implement and start. And, and so using that, we've recruited a new country director uh, that has been brought on board in the last mm, 45 days. Um, and he's doing a bang up job and setting up operations there. And we should be able to start delivering bikes in, in the field in, in, in the first quarter of 2020. And I guess it goes back to some of it, when we think about what World Bicycle Relief is, and it's, you know, the name certainly was very appropriate at the very beginning of our organization, but sometimes is a uh, misleading as far as all the things that we do or, or sort of how we approach things. And I think because of FK's background and entrepreneurial background, my background in business and, and, and finance you know, we take really pride ourselves and, and really core to our to our operation is how can we apply best business practices to development? How can you be nimble? How but how can data inform your decision making? How do you really measure return on impact and make sure that we're able to have pull that information so that we have the analytics for us to really make informed decisions? And I think you know that that's what's that's what's exciting for us every day to be able to sort of continue to evolve that. You've got these kind of big entrepreneurial spirits or engines, right? Well, you're talking about FK. You've got your strong business development and investing background. As you guys are getting into these different communities, having people come to you. It would sure seem to me to be pretty, let's say, tempting to be like, well, we've been providing these bicycles in all these different areas, but look at all these other needs. Look at all these other things that are, you know, real needs. Um, and in that sense, real opportunities in, in the, the best sense of that word. How difficult is it for you guys as an organization or how tempting is it? For you guys to say, well, you know, our name is World Bicycle Relief, but what if we started doing, you know, business development coaching in some of these communities? Or what if we started trying to figure out how to provide better infrastructure in some of these schools? So when to keep this kind of single-minded focus and when to go ahead and say it's okay for us to expand? Those are always huge questions, I think, for any organization. And I'm very curious how you guys handle this internally. <laughs> yes, there's de those are definitely the right uh, the right question to be asking, and, and the questions that we you know hold ourselves accountable for every day. I would certainly say, certainly at the beginning, you know, as we were starting out and trying to figure our way in the early days in Zambia in 2007, 2008, 2009. You know, FK was really focused on and continues to be focused on product development 
and the evolution of the bicycle itself and the tool. And it goes back to, you know, Jonathan, when you think about what is our core value, what is our core value proposition to the world and the world? And it really goes back to that product development and having a better bicycle, um, a better tool. Um, and, and that's appropriate. That is consumer customer centric. And then how do you build the right ecosystem around that tool to support it? And so the training of field mechanics, you know, to maintain and repair. And with the training of field mechanics, we have brought in in the past experts that do business training. I think that's something that we could look at as far as bringing in a little bit more and being, you know, we're now doing secondary trainings and having training of trainers and systems. Um, And also as it relates to the distribution of spare parts, um, you know, to be able to build that up as well and, and take a little bit of a pause and talk a little bit about our structure. Um, because as FK was building out these bicycles, these better bicycles that were going into that initial healthcare program, people started knocking on our door and saying to us, you know, it's really interesting that you have this better bicycle. We've seen it in the field. We want that for our program or I'm a farmer, I want that to carry my goods produce to the marketplace. How do I buy one? You know, we weren't set up to be able to fund that demand. We were very nascent, shall we say, as far as fundraising and our capabilities to to fundraise, to philanthropically fund the demand for bicycles. But what we could do is think about the structure and setting up a for-profit business to be able to meet that demand. And so we work with some very smart consultants and attorneys and set up, make sure that we don't screw up our 501c3 and all those type of things to create Buffalo Bicycles Limited, which is a for-profit entity that is 100% owned by World Bicycle Relief, a not-for-profit. And so through that entity, we're able to sell bicycles to, well, mostly to nonprofit organizations. So folks like UNICEF that are doing programs in child care and health care that need 10,000 bicycles. We can be that supplier of choice. More and more, what we've been doing is growing out a distribution network of Buffalo Bicycles retail shops. So in areas where there are concentration of bicycles from our programs, but also just bicycles in general, setting up a very simple, but very clean, very smartly designed Buffalo bicycle shop to have a supply chain of spare parts and Buffalo parts. We don't sell anything else, just that very clean branding. Sort of like the Apple store uh, (laughs) of bicycle shops in the middle of these little district towns. And it's that connection to the marketplace that's really making a difference. And that's what I get excited about Um, And our team gets excited about because that potential, if you have the right value proposition of quality product and pricing, that potential, that could be exponential growth. Um, And so we're really excited to see that expansion grow as we're growing our, what I would call institutional awareness. So more and more development organizations understanding the importance of bicycles and mobility, We're spending quite a bit of resources as it relates to implementing programs, but having third parties study the impact that are academically rigorous, randomized control trial studies on the impact of mobility to educational outcomes or to livelihoods or to um, healthcare outcomes. 
And that allows us then to be having further higher level conversations with major funders, uh, development leaders, foundations that are looking at solving some of the big problems in these developing worlds and where bicycles mobility can be really part of that solution. So sort of two ways for us to be able to operate. One is this direct to consumer through Buffalo Bicycles and through our retail shops. The other is being the mobility expert in larger development programs where we can bring our expertise on how to implement the best bicycle mobility solution in a broader healthcare program. There are experts in healthcare, there are experts in economic programs, there are experts in, in education. We want to be the mobility solution to those larger programs. I wanna ask you a bit about some of these stats. So let's say you are off tomorrow to have a big meeting with a potential donor or a potential new partner, and you got to make your strong pitch. What are one or two or three of these, these stats that you're talking about to give your best pitch to try to get these folks on board? I would say our, our primary or our showcase program that we've been really focused on recently um, over the last several years has been our education program. Um, we call it Bicycle Education Empowerment Program or BEEP. Beep. So the BEEP program, don't make fun of it. Did I you come, come up, up with, with that? I, I did come up with the acronym. Yeah. You have to have good these acronyms, right, in the development gig. So okay. I'm like, we're calling this thing BEEP. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, the BEEP program, uh, we've done easily over 100,000 bicycles into that program into about eight different countries across the world and have seen consistent results. Um, a study that we did in Zambia showed that there was a 28% increase in attendance by girls. Uh, I should note that 70% of the bikes go to girl students. And in gender equality programs, that are aligned with the various ministries of education and the development programs, every single statistic, every single study will tell you that the key to break the chain of poverty and disease in developing countries is educate girls. If you educate girls, magical things happen. And so we focus on getting those girls to school and having a sense of empowerment. So as I said, one of the programs that we've studied or one of the results of the studies has been a 28% improvement in attendance and a 59% improvement in academic performance for girls students. Um, in the randomized controlled trial study that we're going to be publishing here in about a month, and this is done by a third party all called Innovation for Poverty Action that comes um, from the Yale group. Um, they're looking at very similar results as it relates to the attendance and also a sense of empowerment that the girls get. Because also appreciate in the areas that we're working, in the rural areas in Sub-Saharan Africa, primarily where we're working, and certainly would be applicable in Latin America, um, this bicycle is going to be, if not the, one of the most valuable assets in that household um, because of all the things that it can do to collect water, take goods to the marketplace, take a sick child to the clinic, and in this program, we're tying that girl's education to the bicycle. There's an actual contract that they, they sign. It's a service to own or education to own contract that basically says at receiving this bicycle, 
um, you will attend school on a regular basis. And there's a bicycle supervisory committee that is set up at the um, school um, that, is, that includes members of the Parent Teacher Association, the head teacher, deputy head teacher, importantly, um, the traditional leader. So the chief or chieftainess or the head man or head woman, um, because you want to make sure that the traditional leadership is on board, as well as representatives from the students. Um, so this committee determines who receives the bicycles and then monitors the usage of those bicycles. Um, and that's very powerful because you have to work with the community to, to empower them to own this. Again, we do not want to be a dump and run situation. So on the day of distribution, those are my favorite days. I've probably been to well over 100 <laughs> bicycle distributions and I still well up. I still, it's just absolutely amazing. And people say, why do you do what you do? And, and I'll tell them, you know, that look in a girl's eyes when her name is called out, and this is, you know, a 13-year-old girl that is all the chore, household chores and responsibilities are on her, and she's threatened as it relates to potentially being sold into an early marriage um, because her dowry could help them. But the fact that her name is called out and she's receiving this bicycle and somebody cares about her and her education, the look in her eyes, that's the reason we do this. That, that's absolutely a reason because she now feels someone cares enough about my education to tie this valuable asset to, to, to her education and to her future. And then we also, if we want to talk about, you know, it's interesting, people have different interests you know, what, how, you know, the economic aspect of this, you know, when we talk about an entrepreneur and our, our favorite example is dairy farmers. Um, so dairy farmers, these smallholder dairy farmers will have to take their milk from their farm where they have maybe two, three, four cows and have to transport in those big metal canisters, 20 liter canisters, and take it to a centralized chilling center within a certain period of time or else it will spoil. And they take it on a daily basis, ideally in the morning is the first milking. And if you have reliable transportation, you could probably take it in the afternoon as well. And so what we did, and, and the beauty of it is this, these dairy cooperatives have very precise measurements, right? They have very precise record keeping because the dairy farmers have to, um, they get paid by the cooperative based upon how much volume of milk they bring in every month. And so we worked out a program with them, we call it an employee purchase program, uh, where there's a deduction um, from every month to pay for the bicycle over three months or six months um, for, to, to buy the bicycle. And what we saw, those that had received Buffalo bicycles um, had an increase of about 23% in their volume of milk and in their, 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 their revenue. Uh, their income um, as as a as a farmer. So seeing that direct correlation to if you have quality transportation, if you have the right tool to do the job, you have a direct impact, a 23% increase in the volume and your income. Pretty remarkable. I did want to ask you about this Lipman Family Prize that World Bicycle Relief was awarded. I think it's a very nice feather in the World Bicycle Relief cap. Talk a little bit about how this came to be and why why WBR was a worthy recipient of this award. 
Sure. Um, well, first of all, we're very grateful. About a year ago, um, we submitted an application. It's a very competitive process. There was over 500 applications uh, that were submitted. Um, this prize was started up by Barry Lipman, who's an uh, entrepreneur um, himself and a philanthropist um, that, uh, based out of the San Francisco Bay Area, had gone to the University of Pennsylvania and uh, wanted to set up something to inspire um, cutting edge entrepreneurial development organizations to um, be highlighted, to be rewarded, but also to be able to work together um, in a different way. And it, it really, we're, we're so pleased. We, we, with the application, we went to the semifinalist. Um, FK and I went and, and had interviews uh, with a very esteemed panel. Um, and uh, we were then in the top three, and then we were awarded this. I think it was in, I want to say it was in May uh, of this year. So um, very, very honored to have that. And it, it is certainly prestigious um, to, to sort of be recognized uh, for our, our model and, and for the impact that we're having, um, and also a very generous cash prize of, of $250,000 um, that was undesignated. Um, so in other words, that we could use it to um, do with what we will, um, which is very much appreciated um, when we talk about uh, funding. So yeah, it's, it's quite an honor. And we, the nice thing is that we're now part of this alumni group um, and have had really great conversations uh, through with the connections at University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School, um, as well as past uh, recipients and sort of sharing best practices and, and where we might have partnerships in the future. So that continuing collaboration, I think, is the important part. Yeah. I'm assuming there were a lot of really interesting and smart people behind behind some of these 500 applications. And um, so for this group to say, boy, we really believe in what you're doing and believe in how you're executing this. I think that's all, uh, like I said, a, a very nice feather in the WBR cap. Absolutely. Sometimes um, FK and I sort of pinch ourselves <laughs> thinking, wow, can you believe where we are today <laughs> versus where we were? Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. And it's great, uh, great to think about where we can go. Let's talk about how many bikes you guys have put out into the world and have been able to give to uh, students and communities. Where, where are we at right now? We are approximately 460,000 bicycles, approximately uh, 470,000 bicycles, um, and which is great. I mean, it, which is fantastic. And, and it's certainly as we think about, you know, our success as an organization, growth is, is important. Um, and the number of bicycles is a really easy number to default to. Um, but several years ago, um, emphasizing that it's not just the number of bicycles, because if you start solving for the number of bicycles, you could, you know, easily go with cheaper bicycles or you wouldn't do all the programming around it. Uh, that would be or you would not think about some of the things that we think are very important. So for us, one of the important metrics that we look at is in our programs, especially you know, bicycle usage. So how is that bicycle performing a year from now, two years from now? What is the sustainable impact of the bicycles? And so not just the number of bicycles going out. So yes, we're, we're approaching and by the end of the year, we should, we should tip over half a million bicycles. 
that we've done in, in 13 years, which is fantastic. It is a drop in the ocean as to what the need is. The need is in the tens of millions. Um, and it's not necessarily all of us supporting that. I think there's also opportunities for other organizations and other bicycle companies to help um, provide this mobility and, and, and provide behind this movement. We would love to have uh, bigger and greater competition in, in some of the marketplaces so that the, those at the bottom of the economic pyramid have choice as it relates to bicycles and, and, and ecosystems of mobility. Let's talk about these bikes themselves. You know, you've mentioned several times throughout this conversation, you know, the product designers you have and product development. And I think part of me is a little bit like, well, okay, but we're talking about, it seems like durability is just a huge factor in this. And I, I really appreciate what you just said about, let's not get too hung up on the number of bikes we've put out into the field that could get kind of misleading. So I guess though, I'm a little bit surprised. I would assume we're trying to talk about pretty simple bikes that are relatively low maintenance, that are going to be durable and that will hold up. So I guess I'm kind of like, well, how much bike or product development is there to still be doing today, as opposed to where you were three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? That's a really good conversation <laughs> because uh, our motto as an organization is all answers are found in the field. And so having these field monitors and certainly FK, you know, majority of the first couple of years, he was in the fields, checking up on these bicycles, talking to the end users, figuring out what was important to them, what was not important to them. Then going back to our suppliers and our product development team to be able to translate that into a, a, an item or tool, you know, a product. Um, those things are critically important as we think about um, serving that end user. And, and certainly, we've gone through many iterations uh, or, or evolutions, I would say, as the bicycle to improve quality, durability. Suppliers um, you know, that we're working with are just in general, a lot about bicycle is about, well, how can I make it you know, lighter, faster? <laughs> uh, those are the things we focus on, right? Uh, no, we would like it to be heavy-duty, uh, durable, repairable, uh, robust to those things. So, you know, our bicycle is 50 pounds of love. It is 20, over 22 kg uh, is, is the bike. And, and the, the key focus of that is it has to be um, in, that, in those areas. And, you know, you see the wasteland of, of cheap bicycles that were used, I think, in the Chinese bike share programs and those different issues. You know, people say, well, why don't you just use those? Why don't you just use those bicycles and send them over to Africa? Or, you know, I'll, I'll send, you know, there's plenty of good programs. And, and trust me, we are very supportive. All, more bicycles is more better. Uh, so we're very supportive of that. But if you bring a bicycle over that is meant for the lovely bike path along the Michigan lakeshore, um, it is not going to last a week <laughs> in the conditions and the terrain that we're talking about. It's just not built or designed to do that. Um, you know, having an external derailleur is not a great solution for, for multiple gears. And so we have a whole team of advanced product development that are top bicycle engineers that are focused on rethinking 
gear gearing systems in these contexts and what that looks like. Um, absolutely brilliant. Uh, it, it's really fascinating to see, let alone working with our suppliers uh, and supply chain, you know, to make sure that the componentry that we look at, because if we talk about, we use a, it's 50 pounds of love. It has a rear carrier that holds over 100 kg, about 200 pounds. And we use a single speed drive train with a kickback brake, a coaster hub. Um, that coaster hub is is taking a lot of heat, right? It's taking a lot of, of you carrying something that hard, and you're going downhill and you, you know, put on the brakes. There's a lot of energy focused in on that hub. And so making that most durable so you have the right lubrication and the bearings and all those things in there, um, Africa particularly probes for weakness. So dirt, water, uh, the elements, and it's not as if, you know, the maintenance of these things is, is you know, you got to make it as bomb proof as possible. So working with our component manufacturers to seal those things up, to keep those elements out and to have the right um, lubricants and, 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 and grease in there. Um, all those things are iterative and, you let, and this has never been done before. There's never been, you know, somebody in the field providing that, that communication chain back up into the manufacturers. Um, so that, that's the differential of what we're doing. So there is a lot of product development that we have done, uh, but we can continue to do. Uh, and, and the one I mentioned, the multiple gear drivetrain is, is a very interesting aspect of that. So where are we at in terms of like number of different models of bikes? Are we, are you guys kind of at, we do one frame and kind of one build kit or is it a variety of frames with a variety of different build kits depending on the place? We right now have two um, main models. The basic one that we call is the Buffalo bicycle. And that bicycle is the heavy duty single gear, um, 23 kg weight holds, has the rear carrier single drivetrain kickback brake. And that goes into all of our, our programs. Um, in the education programs, we put on a, a front servo brake uh, for added security, added uh, as far as a braking system uh, for the education program. Um, and that's our primary. And I'd say 90% of our sales or 90% of our bicycles are that is that that main bicycle. In the past, we had several different SKUs. We had girls' frames, we had men's frames, we had boys' frames, we had women's frames. So we had like various SKUs. Trying to manage those various SKUs was not anything that we wanted to continue to do. And so coming back and, and, and working with our, our fantastic uh, product partner, which is Giant Bicycles, to come up with, with a design that has a sloping top tube that is gender sensitive, uh, that allows unisex um, usage, uh, has been a game changer. Um, and so Having a mountain bike type look to it uh, that that is utilitarian and, and strong um, has been has been critical to that. So right now we have that main SKU. The other one is the Charger, which is a similar frame, um, but it does have a uh, five-speed uh, derailleur, external derailleur on it, and a less robust um, rear carrier. And that's really used for commuting. So it's a little, you know, obviously lighter as a bicycle, um, and it's used more for um, urban or commuting uh, practices. And it does have that climbing gear 
Um, but the issue with that is that external derailleur, even with a protective cage around it, um, still isn't, you know, with the cable and housing and all that, it's still not the best solution. So that's what we're, that's what we're working on, how to, how to make that even more robust. Um, but as we go into Columbia, it's interesting. Right now, you know, as we think about program areas to focus on, uh, we're looking at La Gajira, uh, which is in the northern region, so the, the Caribbean coast, the north coast of Colombia. Colombia is huge, uh, by <laughs> the way. Out. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. And just in uh, the uh, La Gajira or the, the coastal plains area, which are relatively flat, a little bit sandy, but bicycles are well used. A lot of internally displaced folks uh, from the conflict that has been taking place there, and it borders up against Venezuela. So there's a lot of immigrants, of course, that are coming across. So the need is great. So that fits their implementability. There are a lot of good partners that are working there, um, and it's very much a bicycle culture. Not quite sure is the social enterprise opportunity, but that's the one we're sort of gauging right now as far as what that what that could look like, either in the nonprofit or corporate sponsorship area for social enterprise. Um, but with that, it's being in the coastal area, we know we had to have a special coating uh, as it relates to um, the sea air, because we were seeing some corrosion um, as it was coming across with our rims. Uh, and, and that's a challenge regardless, because chroming um, in China, you know, China is taking steps as it relates to um, better uh, environmental practices, and chroming is not one of those. But, what, but going back to the, the model, what we're trying to do is, and, and this might be antiquated or shows my age, sort of like the, the Dell computer model, where you can sort of have, this is the basic, but then we could have different add-ons and how we can be compatible with all of those things. So if you wanted to have the add-on um, new gearing system, you can do that. If you wanted an add-on um, of a, a different carrier so that it, everything's compatible within one basic frame. That makes a lot of sense. And so you guys aren't there with that today in terms of kind of having a, a really modular frame, but that's something that, again, these product designers are working on? Well, I would say the ethos from the very beginning has been compatibility. So we're very careful as far as when we're in the marketplace, we're using 26-inch wheels. Those are standard mountain bike wheels. You will find spokes, rims, tires, tubes that will be compatible in each one of our marketplaces that we work in. Uh, that you'll find an existing installed supply chain of spare parts. So we don't want to bring in foreign technology or, or technology that's not um, compatible with the existing marketplace. So we've talked a bit about where World Bicycle Relief has been. We've talked about where you currently are. We've talked about the new campaign in Colombia. But talk to me about kind of the broader future of World Bicycle Relief and where this whole thing is headed. Sure. Well, that, that's the exciting part. And, and, you know, we are looking at sort of a three-year strategic plan and, and from beyond. And I think where we really see, um, especially from a programming standpoint, um, where we can help facilitate mobilized communities. So when we think about individuals and communities thriving through the power of bicycles, um, take it back a little bit. Uh, we went on a very fun uh, road trip, uh, FK and I, from Livingston, where Victoria Falls is, up to Lusaka, which is the capital of Zambia, back in February. And as we were doing this, we could easily get there probably in six hours, but we did it over two days. 
with the purpose of visiting different Buffalo bicycle shops that have been set up. There's been about five of them along the way. And it was just awesome because you, you pull up into, again, this district town and you see our bicycles um, that have been provided through donor support to fund um, education programs. You see bicycles that farmers have used and purchased themselves over time. You see program bicycles that have been purchased by large development programs for healthcare or eradication of malaria, UNICEF bicycles, uh, food and agricultural bicycles that have really all live within the same geographic area. So it creates this ecosystem of all different types of our Buffalo bicycles in this area, all being supported by this shop. So there's a shop there with a trained mechanic that can repair the bicycle. They can come in and, and find high quality pipe, spare parts at a good price. Um, and really that sustainability of that with the field mechanics and, and that ecosystem. Well, well, how can we help foster that? How can we help create these more of these mobilized communities? And so really, as we think about growing our, our programming and our impact, it's really going into various communities or establishing communities um, and doing a mobility assessment and, and to really examine what are the value chains and how are people getting around and whether it's certainly identifying, you know, what are the schools in the areas and is there a challenge of distance or are there dairy cooperatives or are there health clinics, uh, but also all the other, are there large employers that might you know, their employees might benefit of having a bicycle if they could pay for it over a period of time. How do we sort of engage holistically within these communities and have a Buffalo bicycle shop, have trained field mechanics, have that supply chain of spare parts that really help facilitate this mobilized communities? And I think that's where the vision of we have as far as people and communities thrive with the power of bicycles. Um, so that's the future. How do we continue to replicate that um, as well as, as from a field perspective, that's important, but also how can we get the word out? How can we tell more people? So this podcast is a great example, um, speaking engagements, more impact assessments. We've invested a lot of resources and have fantastic what we call monitoring and evaluation impact reports uh, that quantify and, and provide high quality impact assessments of our programs so that we can elevate the conversation of how bicycle mobility is important to achieve a lot of these development goals and being incorporated into those programs. So that's the future. That's sort of how we see the growth and expansion and, and getting to hundreds of thousands of bicycles um, on an annual basis that we can then be providing into the marketplace. And also with that growing geographies not growth into new markets just for the sake of growth, but being opportunistic and also doing that assessment of, of need, implementability, and opportunity. What do you view as kind of the biggest challenges, you know, in the day-to-day -day and, and is, as the director of WBR? Sure. Well, I, I sort of view my, my role in, in my current position as sort of a conductor of, of the symphony, right? There's a lot of different aspects to our organization, whether it be product development, logistics, um, programming, impact assessments, social enterprise sales, the accounting, the finance, the fundraising, 
the marketing and awareness, all those things have to sort of work in harmony together for us to move forward. So my biggest challenge is making sure that our team um, is internally aligned on our goals and our visions. And then how do we able to inspire and spread the word to potential supporters? And so the execution of excellent programs, the measurement of those of those programs and be able to communicate that impact to individual supporters, foundations, uh, corporates, those, those type of things. Those are the things, how do we do more of what we're doing and how do we, you know, I, I often say we are the best little known organization out there as far as our impact and what we're doing. How do we change that? I'm curious if there are kind of general lessons or principles that you have learned along the way that could be applied in a whole bunch of different walks. That's, that's interesting. Well, I think going back a little bit, again, I was 15 years an investment banker, which was pretty type A type personality and dot, 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 and, and, you know, making sure crossing the T's, dotting the I's and everything will be done on a timely basis. Uh, moving to Africa, uh, was a big change and it was, it was, uh, it took me about three months to figure out whether or not I would either survive or be broken by that. Um, and I think that really taught me quite a bit of humility. Examples would be my water kept being turned off. There was limited electricity. There's certainly not very high speed internet, uh, at all. And just the challenges in the pace of, um, daily life um, there that that's the reality that's 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 what's living in a developing country is like uh, I loved it but it was wow it, it and I've seen other very smart capable you know amazing individuals being brought to their knees underneath that type of environment and and I almost was and and, and so what it's taught me, a lot is is humility um, to know I don't have all the answers. I don't know, you know, exactly necessarily on on how do we get from A to B. But if you communicate, collaborate, and have integrity, we can figure it out together. So it goes it, it, to me. That was a big learning and a big change. And I think it's it's core to our our ethos as 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 our value structure. Um, that teamwork and that humility, um, and certainly as it relates to listen to your customer, all answers are found in the field. Don't think that me sitting here in Chicago has, I know the best because I'm smarter or I'm in this certain position. Ask the people in the field. They know best. That's, that's be smart about that. So to wrap up here, if there are, individuals listening to this who are like, man, this sounds really cool. I'd love to get involved or figure out how I could best support World Bicycle Relief. Um, I'm, I'm curious what the answer would be to that question. And then a related question, if there are companies out there who are wondering, like, I wonder if there's a way that we could be involved or what that would look like. So on the individual level or on the kind of company level, how might somebody get involved or help out or pitch in on what you guys are up to? 
Sure. Um, well, I think again, the biggest challenge is as far as is is creating the networks and that um, awareness. And so, I think from an individual standpoint, certainly going to our web page and donating is is very much appreciated and and necessary. Uh, but it's also thinking strategically about who might be in your Rolodex or who people that you might know uh, that could be another stepping stone for us to for creating awareness or to unlocking various resources. And I think um, that to us is important. Also individuals, there's, you know, we do different bike rides. We're having one coming up in Chicago uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have different learning events, different activities. And so checking our website for a calendar of events and activities, volunteer opportunities is also a way to become involved and just reaching out and, and seeing, being able to brainstorm on some different ideas is, is very welcome. Um, from corporates, we've had amazing corporate partnerships, um, and one that I would identify um, is a group called uh, Citizen M Hotels, and they're based out of Amsterdam, um, and they're sort of a uh, funky new way of, of hotels where they have sort of the pod, so each room is exactly sort of the same, a single bed, very simple, um, modular setup. But they're awesome because they're, you know, they're all controlled by an iPad and, and the lights and the sounds and the, the audio, video, all that kind of stuff. And they've got a great vibe to them, um, both in the rooms as well as in the, in, the, in the open spaces. And based out of Amsterdam, they're expanding like um, crazy. Uh, and the M in Citizen M stands for mobility. Um, and so they, we've been talking to them for the last several years and they, we've forged a fantastic partnership uh, that's engaging their employees um, as it relates to um, we have a, a bicycle set up um, doing a virtual ride from um, Amsterdam to Lusaka. They've done actual activities, employee ac activations, uh, doing rides from London to Paris. And this year was Paris to Rotterdam, I believe, uh, that was engaging their employees. That was sort of raising awareness and funds for it. Uh, they've set up different marketing tactics within the hotels. So if you're staying multiple nights, you can put a door handle uh, sign on the outside saying, hey, I don't want my room made up tonight. I'd rather help some a girl in, in Africa get to school and talks a little bit about that. So there's really ways, and, and we like to be creative in, in really understanding the, the, the values and, and, and the strategies of, of corporates to serve here, how we could work with them. And, and an important part of that on that corporate strategy is finding that internal champion. So if there's someone that's listening that's passionate about bicycles, loves what World Bicycle is doing, well, let's talk and let's sort of think about how we can engage your, your organization or another organization uh, to, to make that connection and to create that partnership. So what percentage of World Bicycle Relief's, you know, current funding or revenue, what percentage of that is coming in from individual donations versus, you know, corporate donations. What's that breakdown like? Sure. Um, you know, we've been very lucky. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I think we've been pretty, you know, green as far as understanding how to do fundraising. We've had amazing support from individuals, um, people that are passionate about bicycles that want to go ride and raise money for us. And so having grassroots um, fundraisers and people that ride different establish rides and rate fundraise and create fundraising pages for us has been fantastic. And, and that's, you know, that's roughly 
I guess, 25 to 30% of our revenue, um, which is great because that, that kind of revenue is one granular. We love to inspire and to work with those teams and be able to communicate to them. Then we get into sort of mid-level and major donors and we sort of look at that between, you know, $2,500 and above um, as far as mid-level to then major donors. And, and that comes in probably around 40 to 45%. Uh, uh, and then so the, mid, the balance of that would be looking at institutions. So folks like Citizen M, uh, we've had great um, support from other uh, corporates, including folks within the cycling industry, as well as outside the cycling industry. And some of that comes in as in kind. I mean, we work closely uh, with Trek bicycles. We've worked with, with Specialized. Uh, we work, uh, obviously, with Giant Bicycles and SRAM Corporation uh, as, as just examples, uh, as well as great support from folks like Zwift, uh, the riding platform. They've been great partners of ours over the years, as well as Backroads. Um, so we've been very fortunate to have really broad support and want to continue to grow that um, across. Then the nice thing about our revenue also is that we have this social enterprise. We have the actual sale of bikes and spare parts um, and that comprises, as we get into the bigger picture of outside of uh, revenue. So if we have revenue roughly of $20 million, uh, um, you know, a good um, third of that is being funded through uh, social enterprise sales. So revenue of bikes and, and spare parts. And let's say that, you know, in the next 12 months, uh, what if revenue doubled at WBR? Awesome. What, yeah, you're like awesome. Yeah, that's you're like I'm I'm popping a really expensive bottle of champagne, and um, you know, but like where with more funding, uh, if 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 revenue doubled or five x or ten x, what would you guys be doing with with the dough? Sure. Well, if, if that happens, there's going to be a couple of things, the reasons why that happened. One, we want to continue to nurture and grow our, our mass grassroots marketplace, which is really important. So when we think about geographic expansion and, and going deeper into events within the U.S., but also internationally, that's going to grow. But that's not going to be exponential growth likely. It could be, but it, most likely not. So growth likely will be coming through institutional relationships or major donor relationships that are going to be more designated to programs. So if we partner with, say, UNICEF on a big grant, they're going to be a specific program where we're going to be operating within that program and, and be the mobility solution uh, for that broader health or education program. Um, and the social enterprise side of things could you know, continue to take up, but that's all driven by consumer demand. And you know, that's based upon economic conditions in some of these areas, as well as um, our distribution network of Buffalo bicycle shops. So right now we have 19. We're planning to have, you know, in the next three years, up to over 40 um, bicycles, um, 40 Buffalo bicycle shops to be able to create that uh, channel uh, for retail consumers. Well, Dave, this this has really been a pleasure, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while um, and very excited to see how this continues to grow and develop. Great. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you 
uh, and also connect with uh, your listeners. So thank you again. Well, yeah, it's good work that you guys are doing. And um, I encourage everybody listening to this to think through, um, you know, whether it's through the individual donations or whether, like, like Davis said, the folks in your network um, who, if they don't know about uh, the work that uh, World Bicycle Relief has been doing, they should know. And uh, yeah, all the best to you guys and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Dave for the conversation. And I would encourage you to check out worldbicyclerelief.org and take a look at their upcoming events, make a donation, Share what they are up to with your friends and colleagues, and let's do what each of us can to help this good cause. Finally, I want to thank Luke Alley for producing this episode. I want to thank you for listening. And now, please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.